You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everyone and welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. It's Public Art Week at Strong Towns and today we are speaking with Sarah Peters who is the associate director of the Northern Spark Festival uh, which is held in the Twin Cities every summer. Northern Spark is a free all-night art festival and I'm going to ask Sarah to explain uh, more about that in a moment but first I wanted to just share my personal experience with this amazing festival. I grew up in Minneapolis, and I happened to be home for college um, several summers ago when my dad, who's an art professor, told me about this event, and it sounded really wacky and ambitious and unique, and it certainly did not disappoint. There were interactive art installations all over the place, music, sculpture, graffiti art, you name it. And I think what impressed me most about the event was that it was packed with people. I was there at probably like 10 or 11 p.m., and there were thousands of people of all ages participating, viewing the art, interacting, uh, and spending time in a part of their city that they probably didn't spend a ton of time in, which I think says a lot about the power of this particular public art experience. So that's why I'm so glad that we're getting to talk with Sarah Peters today. She is a writer, editor, and arts organizer and associate director of Northern Spark, like I mentioned. Sarah, welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. Hi, it's fun to be here. So could you start by just telling us what this event is in your words? I think the phrase free all night art festival probably does not do it uh, justice at all. <laughs> well, I, it's nice to hear your telling of it. I still enjoy hearing other people describe what the festival is because, of course, I'm deep in the weeds of what it is. And I could talk to you for a long time about permits and other kinds of <laughs> difficult things that we have to work with creating a, a festival in public space. But I mean, usually when I explain what Northern Spark is, I start with that line and I say it's a free multidisciplinary all night arts festival. It covers it, but it doesn't really get to the soul of it, which I think you addressed really importantly, which is people. So Northern Spark puts artists into public space to enliven the city for a night, for one special night. Activity takes place largely outdoors in public space, although we do work with museums and galleries and other kinds of cultural institutions who do their own programming and are often open and have things going on. Although that's a little bit less the case this year for the 2017 festival, but it's been a big part of how we've organized Northern Spark in the past. And really, it's about exploring the city and seeing the city in a new light and having a really different experience than you would on any normal night. First of all, most people don't stay up all night. <laughs> and if they are, if they do, they're probably not wandering out, I know, outside in the city. Although there is a, you know, a set of the population that it is doing that perhaps not by choice. It took us a little while in organizing Northern Spark to understand that it's definitely about artists and about the art, but it's really also about the people. That it's that energy that you were describing, Rachel, where it's 10 o'clock or it's 2 a.m. And you're underneath the Third Avenue Bridge over by the Stone Arch Bridge, and it's full of people wandering around, and it just feels like a different city. We've heard from a lot of different festival goers over the years that it's a night where they feel safe being outside. And also that it's um, a time when, you know, people are together in 
with a whole bunch of people that they don't know, but the, the phrase friendly strangers is used a lot. And so I think that also speaks to how um, genuine and good hearted Minnesotans are as well. So where did the idea for this event come from? I know it's been going on for several years at this point. What is the backstory? Well, the backstory is that the um, festival's founder, who is a guy named Steve Dietz, who is the artistic director for Northern Spark, he was working on a festival in San Jose in California um, for several years that was similar artists, installations outside in public space, often very technology focused. It ended at about, I don't know, 10 p.m. or midnight or something like that. And he said that it just felt like there was all of this energy and then it was over and everybody kind of like wandered home and it really seemed like it could have been something more. And so that was a kind of formative experience for him. And then there are a lot of other all-night festivals that happen in other places in the world um, called Nuit Blanche festivals. There's a big one in Montreal and in Toronto and a huge famous one in Paris that's been going on for something like 20 years that take advantage of the nighttime and all of the cultural resources of those particular cities to have overnight art experiences. And so it was sort of between those two things that was became a model. And a very important part of the Genesis story is that when the legacy funds came through from the voters of Minnesota to support the arts and cultural heritage, the Minnesota State Arts Board created this festival support grant that was a sizable amount of money when it first started. And so Steve applied with the idea of this first time all night art festival for the Twin Cities and was awarded the top amount from that grant. And so it happened. So I like to thank the voters of the state of Minnesota for supporting the arts and clean water and all of the other things that that bill supported. But that's an important part of our story. So this is a pretty massive scale event. A couple quick stats from the Northern Spark website. Since 2011, the event has included 537 artist projects in 120 venues, 222,000 attendees, more than 1,500 artists and performers. Did you guys have to work up to this scale or did you start big from the beginning? You know, that's an interesting question because we started big at the beginning in that the very first year in 2011 The festival spread across both cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul and included a lot of different partners and a lot of artists. And it was maybe, (laughs) you know, the the kind of like naivete of the beginner or whatever. Um, But it was it went over really well. And so it kept going. Um, And it's actually kind of morphed and changed shape a lot over the years as we've tried out different models, which I feel thankful for having a staff that supports experimentation. We are definitely interested in trying new things and maybe just crazy enough to do it differently every single year. (laughs) Um, I understand why there's a lot of festival makers who just do it the same place in the same way every year, because it would be a lot easier. But part of what we're interested in at Northern Lights, which is the organization that runs Northern Spark, is taking advantage of opportunities to work in spaces in the city where we wouldn't otherwise be able to. So for instance, in 2013, after um, the first year of the festival being in both cities, and then the next year it was only in Minneapolis, then the third year in 2013, we were only in St. Paul in a much smaller geography in and around the Union Depot train station. 
which at that time had just reopened to the public after being shuttered for 40 some years and having a, a significant renovation project to establish the depot as the main Amtrak train station hub for the Twin Cities rather than an old location. And so there was a lot of excitement around the depot, this historic building that had been renovated, but several of the travel functions of it weren't operating yet. Amtrak wasn't running. Several of the restaurants and other features of the building hadn't moved in yet. And so it was sort of this golden once in a lifetime opportunity to take over the train yard essentially. And so that year we were able to have projects that happened on the train tracks, which will never happen again. And a large installation that took place in the train yard, which would all, could also never happen again. And so some people were angry that Northern Spark wasn't in Minneapolis that year. But to me, it was a really, it was an opportunity to do something that we could never do again. There was a, a theater project that operated out of the Amtrak ticket office and kind of styled their entire participatory theater experience using the infrastructure of a ticket office. And that's just, that's an incredible opportunity to be able to give artists. And so we look for those opportunities when we can. How does the public engage with this event? I mean, obviously it's, it's open to the public and people from the community attend, but are they just viewers or do they participate and help with planning? How do you view like the public community as part of this? One of the things we've Um, that sets Northern Spark apart from a lot of different arts festivals that happen in the Twin Cities is that the projects that take place at Northern Spark are interactive or participatory, which means that as an audience goer, you're not just walking around and looking at things in tents, but you are joining in. You're a part of the dance performance, or you are pedaling the bicycle that shows you the film, or swinging on the swings altogether, or having some kind of engagement, some kind of conversation with your um, fellow festival goers and the artists that are conducting the project. And and so I have been really heartened and proud to watch all of our audiences be really game to try new things at the festival and wait in long lines, which we know is a problem, but part of what happens when you do participatory work and kind of try, try these weird experiences in the middle of the night where you don't really even know exactly what you're waiting for and are really pretty adventurous, I would say, to um, experience these things and try to understand them or make sense of them over the course of the night. I would say that until this year, we haven't had a lot of community planning process. Um, It's really been mostly the staff kind of figuring out where the festival is in partnership with all of the different cultural partners that we work with. But for the 2017 festival, because this location is so different from years past, which is down the Metro Transit Green Line light rail train that links downtown St. Paul with downtown Minneapolis, we decided to work a little bit differently. And we have a lot of organizational partners that aren't arts organizations per se, but are economic and cultural development organizations in the different neighborhoods where the festival is taking place. And we also have a group of nine artists who have cultural connections to those neighborhoods who we're calling the program council. And they've been meeting since October um, to help plan and restructure the open call for artists to be, um, to try to like identify what the barriers are, particularly for artists of color and indigenous artists to apply for the festival. And so we rewrote the call with their help and they actually ended up jurying and giving away a bunch of money for 
artist projects for the festival for this year. And they've been a really fantastic group of people to work with that have helped us think through what it means to program in spaces where we've never been before and how to widen the network of artists to be presented at the festival. That concept of having it along the light rail line is fascinating. Um, how is that going to take shape? Is is the goal for like, should people like ride the line along throughout the night to like experience the event or how does that work? I should say just because it's sort of an interesting story that the idea for the green line acting as the spine of the festival came to us in 2013 when we were down in Lower Town planning for the festival at the Union Depot. And the green line was not yet operating at that time, but they were testing the trains. <laughs> and it was like sort of like having the, the carrot dangled in front of you or something. We, you know, we're like, wouldn't it be cool if we could take the train to Northern Spark? But they, it wasn't open and operating. But um, so anyway, we started building a relationship with Metro Transit that year, actually, which has borne out in the great partnership that we have with them for this year. But there are seven neighborhoods that are linked by the green line where festival activity is taking place. And so if you just get yourself to the train and get on it and go in one direction or the other, you'll find one of the festival zones. And so all of the the artist projects are happening within walking distance of the train station at those seven stops. And so that varies per stop in lower town, which is at the far end of the, you know, the St. Paul end of the festival. There's a bunch of projects that are right there when you get off the train in front of the Union Depot station, and then other ones you have to walk down towards the farmer's market or the other direction up towards TPT or the Minnesota Museum of American Art. And then at the other end of the line in Minneapolis at the Commons Park, you get off the train, you kind of have to cross the street and navigate your way to the green space that's right there. And then all the projects are pretty much within sight. And then some of the other locations in between, you have to walk a little bit, but for the most part, signage and flags and other things to help you figure out where festival activity is. Very cool. Have you seen this event in previous years have an impact on the use of urban spaces after the event is over? Like, have you seen, you know, a space that isn't very often used, you know, suddenly getting attention because of this event or anything like that? You know, that is such a good question. And I just wish that we had the capacity to do that kind of research. Because, <laughs> you know, that's like, I mean, it's the ultimate goal, right? Is that, I mean, our vision as an organization is that we transform our sense of what's possible in public space. And I feel like that happens to me personally <laughs> from our work where I never look at the bridge underneath the Third Avenue ever the same ever again after I watched Pramila Vasudevan take it over in an eight hour dance performance in 2012. You know, we, we, we hear some anecdotal things from our audience survey about people, you know, having a different experience of the city or kind of comments like this is a place I go to all the time, but now it feels new. Um, yeah. I mean, but it's, I love that question. And I actually think that as we go forward and kind of try to outline the vision of what the future of this festival is that we would be wise to connect with some people that are doing that kind of work, you know, and seeing how, since the festival does take place in a different location every year, I mean, for the most part, there's some places that are repeated. It could be interesting to think about that as a way of planning. Speaking more broadly, what do you see as the role of public art in communities? What does it do beyond just provide you know, beautiful things for people to look at. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think at its best, it provides questions for people in a, in a different way of engaging critically with the space around them. I think sort of at its worst, it can just be pretty. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against beautiful things, but I think that, um, that at its best, it is kind of stopping people in their tracks and getting them to have a more thoughtful or mindful experience of a place that they're in or to get them to connect to each other in a different way. Um, which is why I think that the kind of work that we do, which is a lot of effort for one night, but that's kind of what makes it work actually, is that like you, you either like have to get there that night and it's like a special time and it's the moment for connection and exploration. And then it goes away for the rest of the year. I mean, I think that public art can also play an important role in letting us practice how we want to be in public together. And temporary projects obviously can do that in maybe an easier way than more permanent work can. But I like to think about a lot of the work that we do as, you know, demonstration. You know, what happens if there's a dance performance on this plaza? What happens if we're riding the train and looking through VR goggles at the same time? What happens if there's on this one night in Little Africa, both of the restaurants on this corner that serve North African food? you know, East African food, stay open all night and there's music. <laughs> it like, it's like we get to practice being a different kind of city than we are the rest of the time and get to watch how it makes us feel or how it helps us talk to people that we wouldn't normally talk to. It can be a way of experimenting with the social fabric. For people who are listening who are thinking this sounds really really cool but how on earth could I do this in my you know smaller town without a grant from the government and things like that do you think it would be possible to do this sort of thing on a smaller scale or have you heard of that happening I can't think of a specific example of it happening except that I know that there are festivals and other kinds of events in other places that aren't as gigantic as Northern Spark, but I think it's absolutely replicable on a different level. One of the bedrock concepts of the Northern Spark Festival is that we aren't the only ones making it happen, that we work with so many partners. And that still takes resources on the part of those partners, but it is a way of expanding the offerings of a festival without having all of the resource requirement fall onto one organizing body. And so I think that um, it would require looking at what are the cultural resources of any given place and how do those people or those organizations or those businesses or those artists want to express them <laughs> um, and, you know, doing a little bit of work to just get everybody to do it at the same time. You know, there is just inevitably some organizing that goes into that, but it wouldn't even have to be all night. You know, there, there are other models of, of, of things happening just a little bit past midnight or, you know, like the art crawl kind of models that happen in a lot of different places. So I would love to see more activity like this happening and, and for people to kind of make their own way, knowing what their resources and level of cultural interest are in wherever they are. Yeah. How did the organization get buy-in from all your community partners and government. And like you mentioned permitting at the start of this, I'm sure that's a huge project. Like how do you make fit all those pieces together and like convince people that this is worth participating in, especially the first year before it had <laughs> happened? Yeah. Well, 
The very first year, I was um, only marginally involved as the food truck coordinator. And I will say that <laughs> it was a little bit difficult to get food vendors involved because they didn't really know what exactly was going on, but we didn't charge them a fee. So that was helpful. Um, but in, in more seriousness, sort of, I think that in a way, it felt a little magical that every that people were kind of on board for the first year. And I think it was in large part because of the connections and the work that the staff at that time had already done in the arts community, that there was trust there, at least among the kind of established, you know, museum and arts organization kind of cultural scene. In other words, like places that have resources to do significant programming in the middle of the night and staffing to maintain them. And so I think a lot of it was kind of pre-existing relationships. And then the night just went over so well that it really, uh, something sort of special happened. I think that part of it was that it was the first really beautiful summer night. And so people were out in the city anyway, and then they stumbled into this festival that was happening all night long and kind of picked up a map and made their way through the city. And what a glorious surprise, you know, to be walking around the Stone Arch Bridge and find all this art that you weren't expecting to see. And the partners that we worked with that very first year reported that they had incredible audience numbers, more so than they would have had for a normal opening or a normal activity that they would have on a Saturday night. And that honestly was a surprise to all of us because we get, you know, the Twin Cities, there's a lot of people here, but we all get a little fatigued about how much cultural programming there is. It feels like there's something to go to every night because there is. <laughs> and there, it was a little bit concerning that having every organization have their thing happen on the very same night would just sort of spread everybody too thin. But instead, it just seemed to make everybody come out for the night. I think that that acted a little bit as a proof of concept. And then a lot of people stayed on board and wanted to participate in future years because it's grown into, for a lot of people, a beloved annual ritual. Are the organizations and artists that you work with mostly from the Twin Cities area or do you draw from the whole state or from the whole country? The vast majority of organizations and artists are Minnesota based. And that comes from a commitment to the local art scene and that having, you know, and also that being just the foundation of the festival because of all the partnering that I was describing. And it also comes from not having huge budgets to fly people in from elsewhere. There was one year when we had some NEA funding for national artists, and that was great. And so that created a nice cross-pollination of Twin Cities folks and people that applied from elsewhere to come in and do projects and partnering organizations kind of do whatever they want. And so they might bring in someone from elsewhere. Um, but I think most people work with local folks because there are so many artists doing stuff in this city that there's no shortage. And this year in particular, because of the focus along the green line and working in these neighborhoods, we've really looked to support artists that are embedded in part of the Twin Cities cultural fabric. Is it a pretty diverse range of like ages and backgrounds and mediums um, for the artists who participate? Northern Spark is a multidisciplinary festival. So there is a diversity of art forms presented because of the durational nature of the festival of it being eight hours in the middle of the night that lends itself easier to some art forms than others. And so, you know, folks who are performers, 
or musicians because of sound ordinances have to get creative about how they present their work if their site is outside. Um, Historically, we have struggled being a white dominated organization on our staffing level and in our cultural connections that each of the staff people bring into the organization. And so we have been working to change that along with the national conversation that's happening about that. And that's part of why we changed the way they're working for 2017 and opening up how we, what kinds of work we look for to, to support for the festival. Northern Lights is an organization that has at its mission working with artists who are working with new media technology, which has a certain set of barriers attached to it that, you know, the tech world has a like white man problem in that. So the tech art world does too. (laughs) And um, maybe, maybe not quite as bad as just the tech tech world does, but we've been working to try and identify what the barriers are for artists to be working in that kind of genre. And also with Northern Spark, it's just a much broader container. And so this year you'll see like a bunch of spoken word, poetry happening. That's like a little outside of our wheelhouse because we're not literary people, <laughs> um, but is also, it, it's great for the middle of the night. You know, you just like stumble your way into the high school for recording arts gym in the Rondo neighborhood. And that's what you're going to see. So it makes sense. Fantastic. So Northern Spark is June 10th this summer. Uh, it starts at 8.59 p.m. and goes until 5.26 a.m. As was mentioned, it's running along the whole green line. So you can look at the map online. I'll post links to that and everything. And it's completely free. So if you are in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, I definitely encourage you to check out this event this summer. Any final things to add, Sarah? You can plan your night at northernspark.org. The website has descriptions of every artist project that's happening and where everything is happening. Um, The maps, as of Monday, May 1st, are still being finished, but um, they'll be up soon. And I would say just get yourself ready for an urban hike. Bring a water bottle. We're not allowing any of our food vendors to sell bottled water this year. Oh, we didn't really talk about the theme. Yeah, what is the theme this year? So the theme for Northern Spark 2017 is Climate Chaos People Rising. And it is artists addressing the effects of climate change. And we launched that theme last year in 2016, but it was so big that we decided we wanted to carry it over for two years of the festival. And we did a bunch of programming in between the the two festival nights. So that's ongoing. And it's been interesting to talk about what climate change means to a lot of artists that wouldn't necessarily have it be their issue of first concern. So we've had a lot of conversations about what the broadening, the, the understanding of what climate change is, and that a lot of, for a lot of folks in the neighborhoods where Northern Spark is taking place, it, you know, it's largely about equity issues and uh, environmental racism and air quality that happens in communities of color. And so one of the goals of choosing to focus on climate change as a theme, which is the most kind of political or socially relevant Northern Spark has ever been, is following this belief that we have that artists can lead us into these subjects that might be contentious or might be boring or might be depressing in a new way that they have the capacity to shed light on a subject 
in a way that can be hopeful or can be discerning, uh, that can sort of shake us out of whatever doom and gloom or disinterest in a subject we might have and to try and show a new pathway forward to engaging with that subject. Um, and in the case of climate change, it means broadening what it is. It's not just science. It's not just an environmental issue. It's not just about recycling. It's about droughts and it's about uh, refugees and it's about what happens in your garden and food sourcing and water resources and water rights. And a lot of the issues that are really topical in America and globally today that we're trying to connect as we go down the green line in the middle of the night. Do you think that there will be this more like political focus going forward or see how this year goes? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. We, um, and I think on the staff, we've been avoiding <laughs> trying needing to make a decision about that because it really does feel like, you know, we start, we, we made the decision. Yeah. It really has, it's changed us as an organization to focus on climate work. Um, and we've partnered with a bunch of different organizations that we wouldn't normally have worked with who aren't arts-based, but are doing political action and, or research or, you know, you know, really direct kind of citizen advocacy around environmental issues in Minnesota specifically. We decided on this theme back in 2015 when we got the first grant for it and had been planning both the 2016 and 2017 festivals. And in that time, things have both changed and not changed. You know, we're still the same like classist, sexist, racist America that we've ever been. But now the white people who and choose to ignore that can't as well anymore. <laughs> and so it feels really urgent. And I don't know that we can go back to having festivals that are not about the urgency that faces our communities, especially as a festival that takes place in the city that is participatory and really kind of of the community. So I don't know. Stay tuned. TBD. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for talking with us today. And the Northern Spark event sounds fantastic. I hope people who are listening to this are able to attend. And yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to share about this amazing public art event. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for all the work that you do. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.